everybody. Happy Sunday to you. If I've not met you yet, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are glad that you have joined us here. If you're joining us online, we say a, a transit welcome to you. Thank you for spending part of your Sunday morning with us. We've been in a sermon series in First Peter for the last four months, and guess what? Today is the last sermon in this series, and uh, if you're curious, next week we're going to do a, a standalone sermon uh, as we gear our minds towards Thanksgiving. You know, there's a lot that's happened this year for which we could probably say, you know what, I don't know if I'm thankful or not. But, uh, but hopefully we'll come next week and remind ourselves of all the things that we can be thankful for. And then after that, we're going to turn to Advent. We typically uh, observe Advent at our church, uh, at least we have for the last seven years. And so uh, we look forward to that as we usher in uh, not just Christmas, but this anticipation that Christ has come and that he's coming again. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter 5, and we probably won't say that like 1 Peter for a long time. Like, that's it's been quite a while, hasn't it? And we're looking at the last three verses. The last three verses, verse 12 through 14, and is, as is our tradition, if you'll read these out loud with me, uh, you will appease me and make, make, make me smile. 1 Peter 5, verses 12 through 14, let's read this together. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who was at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. Thank you for the word today. Thank you for the opportunity to gather as your church. And, and, and we do that in a distributed fashion. There are people who are with us in person. There's people who are online. There's actually people who aren't with us right now that will view uh, what this, this worship gathering, um, perhaps later on today or, or some point in the week. Uh, but we thank you for it. Lord, we thank you for your word. You say it will not return void, but will do that which you intend in our hearts. And as we acknowledge that, we, we are aware that there's some things in regards to change uh, of making us less like our sinful selves and more like uh, the righteous Jesus that we can't do on our own. And so, Lord, would you come as only you can come through your word, by your spirit, and infuse in us the likes of Jesus and, uh, and, and point us to him by your scriptures today. We pray this in in Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, so we've been a long, uh, come a long way. If you want to know, we've been actually 21 weeks in, uh, in this one book of the Bible. And for some of you, you're thinking, why would we, I mean, there's only five chapters in First Peter. So why in the world would we spend four whole months, 21 weeks in a book of the Bible? And I would tell you, we do that uh, not just because it's tradition, not just because we can, it's because we have this value at the Trinity Church. We only have three core values. A core value is 
uh, those things that you hold dear and that you want to be pronounced in everything that you do. And one of those values is, is biblical truth. You see, we know who God is because he reveals himself to us in his word. First Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We have this, um, this faith in God's word that this word for us is the book of life. And the more that we immerse ourselves in it, not some quaint, uh, uh, not some mere acquaintance with it, but just immerse ourselves and take our time with it, unpacking what it says, then the more it's going to make us complete for all the things that God calls us to. So um, biblical truth is the value that uh, we believe much in, and it's why we take our time going through books of the Bible like this. Uh, and today we come to the end of, of, uh, of 1 Peter um, the, probably the, the consistent theme that we've seen in this book every week as we've uh, talked about Peter's words to the dispersed church was this idea of how Christians are to live in the world, right? Especially when uh, our interactions with the world makes us suffer. When those interactions in the world uh, are hard because the world is hostile to us because of, because of our faith. That was an important message for Peter as he's talking to dispersed churches throughout Asia Minor in the first century. Some who were experiencing measures of persecution and suffering as they were just being Christians in the world they were living in. But I would offer that this is an important message for us today, particularly in the backdrop of everything that we have experienced as, you know, as citizens in the United States of America and all the, the, the cultural things that have gone on in our country this year. You know, for all intents and purposes, Peter has already offered his readers concluding thoughts on everything that he said. Uh, and we looked at those a little bit last week. He spoke, he spoke to us about uh, that the, the overarching way that a Christian is to operate in the world is through the, the lens of humility uh, versus pride. He talked about uh, casting our cares, our, our anxieties on God because he cares for us. He told us that uh, in our dealings in the world, we will always be dealing with not just people, but the devil, right? So spiritual warfare is going to be something that we have to be attuned to, as well as the sufferings that just breathing air on this, on this planet of ours is going to afford us. And so today, uh, actually, with these three verses, we're just dealing with a final greeting. And at first glance, you might be looking down and saying, well, uh, that doesn't look like there's much meat here. Meat as in, like, what's going to be spiritually nurturing in these few words that Peter concludes his message with for us. Uh, for all intents and purposes, Peter is commending a few people. He mentions a few people by name. And then he's just going to be signing off, saying farewell to those who he knows that he's writing a letter to, kind of how you would do that. You know what? Like In my Bible reading, perhaps you're like this. In a section like this, I'll admit, sometimes we skip over this part, don't we? Like, well, that's not too much going on here. He's just like, like Savannah, I don't know who he is. He's just saying goodbye. We turn the page and we read the next, we read whatever is next on our, uh, our Bible devotional schedule. And it would be easy to do that. But in actuality, here's, my, here's what I offer to you. There are some truths here in Peter's parting words that I think would be helpful for us and actually encouraging for us that we don't, don't just scan over them, but take them um, as God's word for us, which it is. 
and three, team, three themes in particular deserve our attention, and there were one-word themes, grace, love, and peace. Grace, love, and peace. And the first thing Peter reminds us of is that there is grace in the word of God. There's grace in the word. Verse 12, by Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I've written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. This, uh, this farewell, this final greeting from Peter is not unlike what we read in all of Paul's letters, Paul, Paul's epistles. He does the same thing. So this is a, a tradition of letter writing, of literature in the first century. But notice what Peter does here. He, he calls some people out by name. Uh, he says, Sylvanus, a faithful brother. Sylvanus actually is a longer version of the name Silas. It, it would be like us saying Alex, uh, Alexander versus Alex or, or Peter versus Pete. Most scholars think that Sylvanus is the same Silas who was Paul's traveling companion uh, during most of his first uh, missionary journey. And we can read about that in Acts 15 through 18. Uh, and, and, and the chapters, those four chapters, Acts 15 through 18, there's actually 17 different references to this guy named Sylvanus. Not only that, Sylvanus is also mentioned in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19. We, we read about uh, Sylvanus in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 Thessalonians 1, and he is said to be a part of Paul's missionary team along with Timothy and and. We learn about his notoriety because Paul lists him second. He'll say, I'm writing this to you, me, Paul, Sylvanus, and Timothy. And what we should take from all these references of Scripture about Sylvanus is that he's not a nobody. He's a known leader within the first century church. If we would go back to Acts chapter 16, the Gospel writer Luke tells us that Paul and Silas were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And so while Sylvanus was very likely known, at least amongst Paul's churches, the churches that he started and interacted with, uh, Sylvanus never made it to Asia. And so he would have been unfamiliar with and unknown amongst the churches that Peter is writing to. So when some Peter says, about Sylvanus, I wrote, I wrote to you, that either means that the epistle was delivered by hand through Sylvanus, or that uh, Sylvanus was the one that actually wrote Peter's words. Peter wrote through him. In other words, Sylvanus was likely Peter's uh, amanuensis. That's a college-level word, right? Amanuensis, okay? That's like a secretary, an editor, and someone that is a co-author all rolled up into one. But what that specifically tells us is that if Sylvanus is unknown to the churches in Asia Minor, he needs some sort of recommendation. He needs some sort of commendation, and that's what Peter is providing. He doesn't want to send a complete stranger to, to people that he's familiar with, and so what he does is he writes a letter and says, this is a guy that you can trust. Because here's what Sylvanus would have been doing. Sylvanus would, have, would not have just been delivering this letter and handing it off, and then they do whatever they want to with it. He would have actually gone to all these individual churches. He's traveling around to all these dispersed churches, mostly house churches. He's reading the letter out loud. And because Sylvana is an amanuensis, he's someone that, that not just wrote down what Paul said, but co-wrote it with him and edited it with him. He's likely commenting on all the things that Peter meant by the words that he said or that, that he wrote. So he's doing all that. And Peter is providing a personal recommendation from himself to, uh, to and through Sylvanus to reassure them that 
this stranger can actually be trusted. And so all that underscores how weighty the, the, the thing that they're receiving from Peter, this, this letter actually is. So, so this, is not, um, this is not a direct message that you would send to your friend on Facebook Messenger that someone sees and is like, you know what, I don't even want to respond to this until like a week from now. This is not a postcard that Peter would write and that he would send to, uh, send to his friends in a faraway land and say, hey man, the Colosseum in Rome is great, wishing you were here, Mwah. love you Peter, right? That's not what this is. This, is. this is a carefully crafted letter from an apostle. An apostle is someone commissioned by God to represent him, to represent Jesus in, uh, in, uh, in all the ways that Jesus walked on the earth. They, they carry his words, and they carry the weight of his words. And so what Peter is, is writing carries the gravity and the weight and the authority as if it were words from the risen Jesus Christ to his church. And uh, it is that, and the people on the receiving end would have received it as such. And notice what Peter says the burden of his letter is. He says, by Sylvanus, I've, I've, I'm exhorting, I'm, I'm writing you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. And so those words are, are, are important because that is the, the burden of the letter. In fact, that's the burden of the whole Bible. If you, if you, if you peel back the, the, the picture of the Bible, we have this, this God that created all that we know about our world. And on the sixth day, he created humanity and put humanity as the, the vice regents over all that he knew. And even though man would rebel and sin, God in his grace, the true grace of God comes to us in that God plans uh, 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 a path of redemption so that eventually, ultimately, God would give himself to us as our God and he would receive us as his people. And, and what Peter has done in five chapters in this book for us is, is, is peel back the, the cover of what the true grace of God looks like. In his very first words, he calls us the elect exiles of the, of the dispersion. And so God has chosen us and made us sojourners here on, in a land that he doesn't intend for us to, to be our permanent home. He's shown us the true grace of God, saying that we are born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. So he's giving us a picture of who God has called us to in his grace. Later on, he says that we are a peculiar people. Chapter 2, verse 9. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called out of darkness. That's what God does for us. He calls us out of darkness, and he calls us into his light. Once, verse 10, you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He keeps unpacking what is the true grace of God looks like. It's God calling us to himself so that we would live not for ourselves, but for him. And so on and on he goes, showing us what the true grace of God looks like, both in his exhortations to obedience. That's what, that's what he does in chapters 3 through 4. He, he shows us these segments of society and says, hey, be subject to your, your government if you are subordinate. Be subject to your boss or to those who are over you if you are in a, a wayward relationship. 
submit so that you might show forth the glory of God even in your relationship. This is the true grace of God. And so in, our, in his exhortations to obedience, but also with the promises of divine assistance, all of it together communicates the grace of God to us in Jesus. And that really is the weight of Peter's words to us. But more importantly, that's the weight that the scriptures carry. And what this is saying to us is that in days when we feel like our resources are running thin, like, like today, right? And, and we all have varying uh, perspectives on that. But in, in a day when we feel like our resources are running thin, where do we find the grace of God for ourselves? Peter is pointing us to the word. He's saying the, the resources of, our God, of God are to be found right here in the word. That's grace for you in God's word. That's grace for you as you operate in your family, whatever your family structure looks like. That's grace for you as you're homeschooling your kids. That's grace for all those young people that are homeschooling, like unintentionally, public school at home, you know, during the coronavirus. That's grace for us on our jobs, whether that's good or like however you might need it. That's grace for us in the crises of our lives. That's grace for us in the craziness of what 2020 has been for most of us. There's this abundant grace for us, grace suited to our specific needs, sufficient grace to keep us and comfort us and sustain us. And where do we find it? We find it in God's word. We find it in God's word and the words of scripture bring us to Jesus. You know, one of the things I've been praying for myself and that the elders have been praying for all of us, for all of our congregation during this very contentious year is that we wouldn't waste this crisis. You know, we, we, we could just be ho-hum about it. We can complain about it. We can gripe about it. Some of you would suggest, well, what, what crises? We all have the different perspectives on this, but that we wouldn't waste what's going on in our country this year. And of course, most of us wouldn't wish the things that are going on in our country this year on anybody. Yet at the same time, we're all being squeezed in ways such that only an awakening of our appetites for God and for his word and for the grace of God communicated to us can satisfy us. What am I saying? God is squeezing us so that we would want and crave and desire more of his grace because we need it. Perhaps you're here today and you'd admit that you need the grace that comes to you from the word and you've neglected that. Perhaps you're trying to navigate your life in your own wisdom and by your own way. And like many of us, you're overwhelmed with life right now. Maybe there's a few of you here that are like that. How small you feel, aware of your inadequacies, aware of how ill-prepared you are and weary you are right now for the craziness of the coronavirus, for example, to keep going on. It, like we thought it was going to stop and it's here perhaps to stay for a while longer. And so here's the question for all of us. Have you considered that perhaps some of the reason you're struggling in life or have the perspective that you have about life is that you have not uh, partaken of the grace of God that's available to you from the word? And so how do we get a hold of that grace? Peter tells us, look at, look at verse 12. He says, I've written to you briefly to uh, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. There's a reminder here of, of how the word comes to us and how we should respond to it. So how the word comes to us and how should we respond to it. Peter tells us that he writes this letter by way of exhortation 
and declaration to tell us about God's grace. You know what exhortation is. So you get a bit of exhortation every time Nick or I or anybody graces this stage. You get an exhortation when you go to Bible study. You get an exhortation when you go to, to, uh, to, to community group. Okay? You get an exhortation, a self-exhortation, when you open your Bible and just read it. Exhortation means to communicate empathically. It's, it's the application of truth to the heart and to your conscience. And uh, the Holy Spirit does that to us when we expose ourselves in the various means to God and, and his word. It's the application of truth to our hearts and to our consciences. It has the sense of ethical challenge and tender encouragement. And so God's grace comes to us when we are exposed to exhortation of the word of God. But it also comes by declaration. And declaration means that I am, I am uh, receiving an open statement, a declaration about the truth of God, about the profound uh, facts of the gospel. Uh, about someone bearing witness about who God is and what he's done for me in Jesus. I think the point of all that is God's word doesn't come to us dispassionately. The Bible isn't just a, a book of facts or some historical record of ancient people and the stories of how they got to where, wherever they got. The Bible is an aggressive book, one commentator I read this week said. It argues with us, it exposes our hearts, it rebukes with us, it, it comforts us, it encourages us, it proclaims truths that we need to hear and, and that we badly need to believe. It applies that truth sometimes in unsettling ways, sometimes in comforting ways, but always for our everlasting good. Would you agree that your, your Bible is trying to conform you into something that you might not quite yet be. And it does that in aggressive ways. There's a scene in, uh, you guys are, uh, everybody's familiar with uh, the Lord of the Rings series. There's a, there's a, a, a scene in the, the, the Fellowship of the Rings where Frodo is thinking back. He's thinking back to something that his uncle Bilbo said to him. Bilbo is reflecting on all of his travels, you know, represented in the, in the Hobbit movies. And, and so Bilbo says to Frodo, it's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your door. You step onto the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no telling what, might, uh, what, might, uh, what you might be swept off to. You know, in a sense, when you open your Bible, there's a dangerous business that you're availing yourself to. I don't mean danger in the sense of you losing your life. But there is a danger in that there is an adventure that God is inviting you into. Like you're being invited on a journey where you become less of your sinful self and more like Jesus. And sometimes that requires you to suffer. Sometimes it requires you to give stuff up. Sometimes, as Jesus would, uh, would encourage us, exhort us, admonish us in the Gospels, it requires us to deny ourselves, right? To pick up a cross so that we might follow him. And so this is a book like no other. That's what the Bible is. God himself is speaking to us and working uh, his grace into us and into our hearts. And so we're told that the word comes to us, told how the word comes to us. We're also told how we should respond to it. And, and in verse 12, Peter just uses four words. He says, stand firm in it. Those are military, that's a military uh, connotation. Paul uses that constantly in his, in his letters and his epistles. And when Paul uses it, he's, he's thinking about 
the Roman province, which was dominated by Roman soldiers, and he's telling the, the, the Gentile Christians that he's writing to, don't kowtow to, uh, uh, to, the, to the government. Stand firm in God in his word. Uh, he will say in Philippians 4, uh, stand firm in the Lord, which, which basically means be courageous. Be all those things that God has called you to in his word. So Peter uses this in kind of the same light. Think about the, the, the pandemic of, of 2020 that most of us have been and plunged in and, and the crises of our lives that are ensuing because of that. And if you would think of our lives right now as a kind of a storm, first there was a, uh, just a, a bad rainstorm, then it kept going. So we got a hurricane, a tornado, a hailstorm, and it's like it's on and on and on and on. And so all of a sudden, our lives are in this turbulent storm and we can't get ourselves out. Almost like Dorothy going to, going to Oz, right? And so Peter is telling us, hey, take your stand. Take your stand. He's not saying that the storm is just going to quit because you take your stand. He says, take your stand. And where do we take our stand? We take our stand in the Word. And we take our stand on the promises of God. We take our stand on the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus found in the pages of Scripture. And why does he tell us that? It's because the word is firm. Everything around us is like a, a shifting sand or, or, or a sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. That's why I'm getting that phrase. It's, it's shifting sand. And so we expose ourselves to the news media, the, the, the pundits on TV, even your friends. All of those are going to give you contrasting and, and contradictory advice about how you should live your life. Jeremiah the prophet tells us that our own hearts are even deceptive, and so we can't trust them always. And so in days like what we're experiencing now, we need solid, sure, dependable answers. And where do we go to get those answers? You can go to your friends. You can go to the news. You can constantly look at TV, fretting over what's going on. But Peter is encouraging us to find them in God's word. And so one of the, maybe one of the things that God does amongst us this year is drive us back to his word. Is drive us back to his Bible. Like, open your Bible. And in it, find help to stand firm through all the things that you're going through. So the exhortation here from Peter is, don't build on sand. Build on solid rock. What's the solid rock? It's the, it's the rock of the word of God that points us to Jesus. Because when the, when the rain begins to fall and the floods come, your house can withstand the storm if you're standing on the word. There's grace for us in the word. Here's the second thing Peter says. He says there's love in the church. There's love in the church. One of the things that I am reminded of constantly through this year is, is this thought that we need each other. Like we need each other. Thank God for technology. Like y'all watching, you know, through two cameras in our in our auditorium that are hooked to wires that lead to all this kind of equipment in our in our sound booth that are connected to the internet that are streaming beams all across the. I don't know where they're going. I don't even know how that stuff works. Right? I don't even really care. Thank God for it. I do. I thank God. I thank God for. It. I remember when this stuff when like March eighth. What a it actually was March, it was between March 8th and March 15th when Virginia had this like, like all around shutdown and Nick and I were like looking at each other like, what are we going to do? Like we've never had a desire to be online anything. It's like, all right, we will gather together as a church and do what people do when you come to church as a church. We're not trying to broadcast to the world. Uh, and so, you know, I'm not, I'm not against technology. We use technology for technology's sake. But the truth is, 
what we're using now is not a substitute for how the Bible uh, tells us what true church is, right? And true church is when we come together as a community and, and worship. Almost everything the church does is supposed to be in community, like you looking at me in proximity to each other. And of course, I, I'm not a fool. I, I believe the coronavirus is real, and so we're doing what we have to do uh, to achieve a sense of normalcy. I'm not patting you, those of you in the, in the room. I'm not patting you on the back saying you're doing better than anybody else at home. And I'm not sliding those of you who are watching online that may be at risk or just may be sensitive to what's going on right now and you choose to worship with us at home. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying what we're doing right now is not fully public worship. The Bible expects the church to be gathered together for that. This is a stopgap measure. Really? It is. It's, it's a stopgap measure to provide some semblance of normalcy for the church as we are supposed to gather, to remind us of this one thing. We're one church under the banner of Jesus. The important thing is that the community of the church is necessary, that one day we will get, to, uh, we'll get back to uh, a regularity of face-to-face -face community. That's our great hope. We need that. But more importantly, we need each other. Which is in our, which in our text, I, I think Peter is bearing testimony to the bonds of Christian love that ought to bind us. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, he says, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. That's kind of an obscure text, a, a verse, sentence, if you look at it by itself. But I want to... I want to widen up what Peter's talking about and, and point our attention to a couple other things, and it might make sense after I do that. So notice verse 12, Peter mentions Silvanus, a.k.a. Silas. And, and verse 13, he mentions Mark. And then outside of this text, the book of Acts tells us that Silas or Silvanus and Mark were part of the Apostle Paul's ministry team. And so we have uh, here uh, two, like, super-Christians, right? who are now working with Peter, and it would be easy to think that the highlight is that they have jumped Paul's ship and now are in cohorts with, with Peter, but that's not actually what's happening. It's, it's, these, these aren't people who, uh, who are rival tribes of apostolic followers trying to jockey for position. That's not what's going on. It's not like Paul has his churches, Paul has his team, Peter has his churches, Peter has his team, and they're all in, uh, in uh, opposition to each other. What's being modeled for us here is the church in unity, all right? We're seeing the church working together because people are working together, and they're doing it because of the background of advancing God's kingdom from a perspective of love, and they've been doing this from the very beginning. So if we go to the Acts, that's the, that's the very beginning of the early church, right? And that should encourage us. Here's what the Bible is suggesting. The Bible suggests that a close relationship develops between Peter and Mark. And so in our text, Peter calls uh, Mark, verse 13, my son. Scholars would say that such a close relationship developed between Peter and Mark such that Peter stays with him to all, all the way to the end of his life. And so Mark was one of the ones that tended to Peter, church history would tell us, all the way to his death. And so they're living in Rome together. And before Peter dies, Mark is the one that records the, the eyewitness account of the life and teachings of Jesus. And Mark does that not because Mark was on the scene walking and sharing life with Jesus for the three years of his earthly ministry. Mark does that because he was doing that with Peter. 
And so the Gospel of Mark to us uh, is, is, is Mark's writing, but it's the experience that Peter physically had being around Jesus. And so this, this Peter and this Mark are together ministering together in Rome, and that's what this letter is written from. And that's where the reference to she who was at Babylon greets you in verse 13. Babylon is a code word for the city of Rome in your New Testament. So even when you get to Revelation, when it says Babylon, that's talking about Rome. And, and Rome, just like Babylon in the ancient times, was the seat of both global power, but also for spiritual depravity in the world. Think about New York, what New York is to the world, to our country and the world today. I'm not saying that New York is spiritually depraved, but you know, there's some great things and there's some not so good things that go on in a big city like uh, like New York, such is Rome, a.k.a. Babylon. So when Peter says, when he writes, she who is at Babylon, the she that he's referring to is actually the church, the church in Rome. So Peter writes, she is likewise chosen. What he's saying is, is, is this, this church, this, this embassy, this beacon of hope and light in Jesus in Rome, this elect chosen by God, group of believers, just like the believers in Asia Minor are, are united. And he's given us a picture of, of what the church should be, what the, what the church should be and what the church, people in the church should be collectively together. And he's, he's basically giving greetings, the, the elect, showing us the electing love of God in Jesus uh, from one church to another. And so he says, here's a beacon of hope for the world in Rome, and we are sending greetings to the beacon of hope to all of you who are in uh, the dispersed churches in, in Asia Minor. And I think Peter's point is, not only is he modeling unity and love between individual Christians, uh, Sylvanus and Mark, Peter and Paul, but between Christian leaders, he's also showing us between uh, the unity of love between uh, whole congregations. In other words, the church is to be distinguished by our love for another by our unity and our mutual care. I think one of the one of the the disheartening things that I've noticed over the last year, in particular over the last six months, is is the lack of care and lack of love in the Christian evangelical church. It's been pretty disheartening. We're, we're divided over a lot of things. We're divided over how to respond to COVID, but we've taken the stance of the world and whatever the stance of, you know, of your party, your tribe, we've taken that and we've brought it into the church, and so we're as divided as the culture is. We're divided over what to think about and how to engage the, the discussion of systemic racism in our country. We've taken our tribe's perspective, some discounting systemic racism, some uh, saying, yeah, we need to deal with it, but we're divided over it. We've taken sides in political camps, and we've chosen affiliation with political parties over our covenantal fellowship with the Church of Jesus. And, and if Peter were here today, Peter would say, let it not be so. And all of this, I think what Peter's telling us is we have lacked love. Because what Peter is telling us here is that love was to be our prevailing characteristic. That's why he says in verse 14, greet one another with a kiss of love. Like that holy kiss, right? The holy kiss. If I were a good pastor, I would, all right, let's, let's go ahead and model this right now. Turn to your neighbor and go ahead and give him one. Like right on the lips, okay? Thank you, Don and Ev. I really appreciate y'all. I was hoping somebody was going to do that. 
All right, so like, we kind of sort of don't do this in our culture right now, and I'm okay with that. But, you, but you, you see it in movies, those of you who have traveled, which is a lot of y'all because you're military or work for the government, you've seen countries and cultures around the world that still practice this kind of thing where familial men and women uh, kiss each other, either on the cheek or like in Russia, like dead on the mouth. And they're doing that, uh, not because they have to, it's not just cultural, it's they're, they're modeling what it means to, to, to express love. That's what they're doing, they're expressing love. Peter is, is making, uh, P- Peter is telling us there's more than just a cultural form to this idea of, uh, of saying you love someone. I can actually say I love someone, but unless I am um, culturally uh, uh, expressing that in some way, then it might not mean anything. We're called to show that we love one another, to make our love felt and seen and known, that we are to greet one another in such a way that communicates genuine love. I think that's his point. And so, I mean, how do we do that? We can't do it if we're always divided. We can't do it if we're placing our tribes and our affiliations uh, or what what those that we partner with in the secular world above our um, allegiance to God and his church. So there's grace for us in the word. There's love for us in the church. And finally, here's the last thing Peter exhorts us about. He says there's peace in Jesus. Verse 14. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So this is a traditional greeting. You'll see this uh, same writing in in Peter's letters. Uh, If we were writing a letter today, we would say very respectfully your name or God bless you, blessings of grace, sincerely yours. I mean, we understand that. But this is more than just the formality of, of letter writing. What Peter is doing for us here is giving us a benediction. And you guys are used to a benediction because uh, Nick or I give one every, uh, every Sunday. And we couch it as, are right, we going to give God the last word? But what we're doing is we're receiving the blessing of God so that we can go out and live as God's emissaries in the world. And so in this case, Peter is expressing here the principal blessing of the gospel. And here's the principal blessing of the gospel. It's the peace of God. And the peace, uh, peace from God and the peace of God. It's also peace with God that comes to us through Jesus. And there's no better blessing than that. And so when, when the grace of God in God's word has its way in our lives, what Peter is uh, suggesting here is that there is a fruit that is born from that. And the first evidence of that fruit is love, right? It's, it's love from God and Jesus. And so there's, there's this vertical transaction that we are getting God, the things that we need uh, to, to be in his family, where, whereby we can extend that horizontally. We get love from God, and that love from God translates into love between those who love Jesus and trust in Jesus, a vertical love that's translated into a horizontal love. And that spills over into the church, a love from God for other people that manifests itself in the church. But, but here, he says alongside with that, and, and I have in my notes, perhaps slightly above all else, there's another aspect of fruit that's born from that. And it's the grace of God through the scriptures at work in our hearts that produces peace with God that comes through Jesus Christ. Here's what Peter's saying. You cannot have peace with God unless it comes through Jesus. 
And the key are, are these two words that he uses at the end of his letter. It's if you are in Christ. Huge theological term in the Bible, and I'm not going to rehearse it here, but he's saying when you profess faith in Jesus, when you confess your sin and admit your need for a Savior, you get the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit uh, make, brings you in union with Christ, such that all of the communicable attributes that are said that Jesus has, of love and peace and joy and happiness and gentleness and generosity and all those things that Jesus inherently has become yours as well, right? And you live life exuding those kinds of things. If you are in Christ, you become like him. And one of the ways that we become like him is that peace becomes your birthright, right? It becomes your new birthright. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things have become new. And part of that newness is that you get not just the love of Christ vertically from him so that you can give it out, like, and it spills over in the church, but you get his peace. You get peace in your heart, but you also get peace so that you can exist in God's family as a child of God. And so if you are in Christ, you can say, man, this has been one heck of a year, but all is well with my soul. It's something on the inside that, 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 that there might be all kind of chaos on the outside, but on the inside, like Christ, it's this beautiful gift of peace just exuding from you. And don't we need peace like that? Like, like I raise my hand. Like, I'll be the first to raise my hand. Like, it would be an understatement for, for many of us to say that our souls have not been troubled this year. Mine definitely has. And so here's the Bible's question for us. Where can troubled souls like yours and mine find peace? Find peace like that. And, and Peter points us to only one place. He says you can only find it in Jesus. Right? You can only find the peace that you need in Jesus. Peter says, peace to all of you in Christ. Meaning you have to be found in Christ. Nothing else can give you the peace that you might be searching for. Nothing else can give you the peace that you, that you need. You have to go to Christ. You can drown out your conscience. You can anesthetize your worry. But real peace that the world can't touch, that circumstance can't change, is found in Jesus alone. And that's something that's available to all of us. Like the true, real, genuine peace of God. It's available to us only in and through Jesus. And so Transit Church, if you lack peace today, here's my commendation to you. Go to Jesus. Reach out to him. No one that turns to him will in no ways be cast out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that, again, it would touch the hearts of those who need to receive it. Lord, we thank you that your grace is communicated to us through your word. And so, Lord, if there's anything I think that you want us to gain from Peter's letter here, it's just appreciation for uh, who God is, that he communicates to us through his word. Lord, help us to see Jesus in these words of scripture. I, I, I pray that there will be something by your spirit communicated to us that would give us this, this yearning, this desire to get to know you by just opening up your word. And then as we read the words of Scripture, God, that your grace would come to us. It would come to us. And it would ch change us. 
we thank you for the, just the opportunities you give us as a church to, to come to your scriptures. We don't take it lightly. I thank you for the patience of our congregation that, that our pastors get to, uh, to slow go through uh, our very rich book of the Bible to make much of who God is and, and just to talk about Jesus. And so uh, continue to help us to do that. But I pray for those here that would say their heart is uh, is worried and anxious and that they just crave for peace. In the sense, all of us in that spot, Lord, would you communicate your peace to us in Christ? As we saw baptisms today, Lord God, we know that uh, being at peace with Christ requires us to coach for Jesus. So Lord, would you give us Jesus? Give Jesus to those who, uh, to those who ask for him. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 We're done with Peter.